And I think we've taken great steps towards health as a church. But there's, there's a difference between being healthy and being fit. There's, there's a difference between being healthy and being fit. So, you know, <laughs> this is a terrible day for this, right? I'm healthy. No, <laughs> I'm not healthy today, right? I'm not healthy today. Um, but for the most part, yeah, I mean, I have my back injury and stuff, but I'm healthy. You know, I eat pretty well. I can move around well. Um, yes, I have my limitations, but I'm, I'm healthy. Uh, but even in my health, I'm not necessarily fit right now in life. To be fit, there are things that I have to be doing. Like, I, I have to exercise if I want to be fit. Amen? Uh, if, you've ever, if you've ever tried to do a long hiking trail, or if you've ever tried to keep up with somebody who does exercise, you know there's a difference between being healthy and being fit. You know, I, 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 there's, there's different levels of fitness as well, so we shouldn't look down on ourselves or other people when they are not as fit as you because their fitness level is a different level than you. I'll use my wife and I as an example. If you know Pastor Julie, uh, when we got married, I think she weighed 105 pounds. Obviously, she's had three kids, okay? And she would readily admit that. And now she's healthier than she's ever been, physically. But my wife and I have two very different body types. So my fitness level and her fitness level are two very different things. I hop on an elliptical and I can go for a half hour and I have no issues whatsoever. She's done after like 10 minutes. She's like, Jonathan, I can't do this anymore. Now, one time she does these like stretching exercises, um, Pilates. Um, and she's like, you should try this. <laughs> Pilates. Um, I got about 10 seconds into a stretch and I was like, this is not for me. <laughs> because there is a level of fitness in Pilates that is just not designed for my body type. Now, that does not mean I wouldn't benefit from it. So it's like, okay, I just got to start at a lower point. But when we're talking about fit church, again, we're not talking about health, our pillars. We're talking about fitness, the things that we do. What are we exercising? How are we staying fit as a church? Because the reality is our makeup and identity is going to be different than other churches, but the reality is every church's fitness is gauged in the same way, in case you didn't know that. Because we've all been given the same tasks, right? We've all been given the same task, and therefore our fitness level is going to be gauged by a few different things. And so what I'm going to do over the next, I think it's six weeks, I don't even have it in front of me, but it's six weeks. Over the next six weeks, I'm going to hit six things that every church needs to be doing. Every church needs to be doing. And if they're not, then their fitness level is probably not meeting what it should be hitting. All right? Is that a good introduction to the series? Awesome. Good. I'm glad you like it. And if not, you're not going to enjoy this. <laughs> so uh, one of the things we have to understand as we, as we walk into this is that there are going to be things that you hear and you go, Pastor, I've heard you say this time and time again, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to focus on specific things and preach entire messages on topics you've heard before. Okay, so, you know, serving is something that I'm going to hit on in this series that it needs to be part of the church. I've hit on serving a lot of different times, but I'm going to spend an entire message on what a church looks like when it's serving. So I, I say that because you go, well, I've heard this message before. I assure you, you have not heard uh, this message before you. 
before. So anyway, my prayer is that we take this message and messages, I should say, this entire series, and we apply it to ourselves. See, the key, the key thing with each week in Fit Church is that you're not going to leave here going, okay, well, what am I supposed to do? Because it's going to be very, very clear. Every week, I'm going to hit you with a very specific challenge. And the choice will then be yours, whether you want to exercise and choose that fitness level or not. Does that make sense? Now, here's my next challenge for you. Come back every week. Some of you may go and say, this is not an exercise I want to participate in. I assure you, there are going to be multiple exercises you don't want to do. It's just going to be the reality of it. But maybe you, maybe you pick up exercises two, four, and five, and then over time, as you're diving into them, you go, you know, I want to pick up three. I really feel like I need to pick up one because that's how exercising works. We start out with what we can do, and then over time, we're built into other things. All right, so again, this is not about a healthy church. This is about what are healthy churches doing. So one of the things that I've been doing as I've been preparing for this series specifically is I've been reading uh, books, and I've been reading studies and statistics. And so one of the things that we talk, are, the specific thing we're going to talk about today is corporate prayer. Not prayer as an individual, which you should be committed to. I, you should be praying every day with Jesus, okay? We're talking specifically about corporate prayer because this is a church as a whole exercise, okay? All right. So corporate prayer is what we're talking about today. So when I was, when I was reading and studying, I came across this book called Anatomy of a Revived Church. And so this is, this is by Lifeway. Uh, Lifeway Research, Tom Rainer is the one who wrote the book. And what they did was they went and studied churches that were headed for death. They were going to close. And then something happened within them, and they were able to not only turn it around, but they were able to achieve health and then step forward into thriving and growing ministry. That's what the entire book is about, Anatomy of a Revived Church. And one of the things... Well, this is all throughout the book, but in this one specific chapter was the importance of corporate prayer. In fact, what they learned is that 100% of the churches that they studied that were able to turn around, that were able to be revived, had some kind of corporate prayer ministry. 100%. Now, what they also noticed was this. There were some churches that turned around for a season, but it didn't last. So what they noticed was some churches were able to hire a pastor, and a pastor would come in with this bright, vibrant personality, and the church would grow. But because corporate prayer was not a part of their turnaround, everything ended up falling apart. They saw that you know, they were able, able to hire, change their, their music they said, hey, you know, we're going to change our worship style on a Sunday morning. So they changed their worship, but they didn't make corporate prayer a part of their church. And so they turned around for a season, but then everything fell apart. If, you, if they wanted to see and every church that they saw that was lasting in health, corporate prayer was part of what they did. And so that was one of the things that I was like, okay, well, if it's a 100%, then it has to be first. It can't be something I delay. It can't be something that I go pushing it to the side. Corporate prayer obviously has to be important. 
And so I, was, I, I began reading more and more, and I got into this book. I'm, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull the book title out because if I'm going to quote from it, it's going to be wise for me to quote the book. Come on, Jonathan. It's called The Corporate Prayer Challenge, 30 Days uh, to Kickstart the Change We Need, and it's by Howard Lawler. And this entire book, it's really brief chapters, and he's talking about why corporate prayer is so important. But one of the things he noticed as he was trying to study corporate prayer is that nobody writes about corporate prayer. I'm telling you, you go home and you look up prayer, and you will find countless books on the subject. But if you search corporate prayer, the body of Christ coming together to pray, there are very few works on it. And so he said, I, I can't just sit by anymore. Something needs to be written. But in one of the chapters, he, he quotes Charles Spurgeon. And Charles Spurgeon is a, is a, mes- is a man I've, I've talked about before. He's the, I mean, preacher of preachers. This is Charles Spurgeon. And uh, he was preaching one day at Metro Tabernacle, and this is what he said. It is as sure evidence of the presence of God that men pray as the rising of the thermometer is an evidence of the increase of the temperature. As the nilometer measures the rising of the water in the Nile, and so foretells the amount of harvest in Egypt, so is the prayer meeting a graceometer, and from it we may judge of the amount of divine working among a people. If God be near a church, it must pray, and if he be not there, one of the first tokens of his absence will be slothfulness in prayer. What Charles Spurgeon does is he first says, okay, if you are in a church, the evidence of God in the church is that prayer is a part of the church. And if prayer is not a part of the church, then he can, you can be certain that God is not in that church. That's the first thing he says. But then he says, and in regards to the prayer meeting, we can gauge it like we would the Nile. So the Nileometer is basically, I mean, you could, I'll, New Richmond has this, right? Or Moscow or whatever. You have your, you have your board. And you, can, you can see how high the river is flowing at that time. But the Nile basically is used for irrigation at all times. So based on how high the Nile was would determine how good the harvest was in Egypt. I'm going to say that one more time. Based on how high the river was determined the harvest in Egypt. And what Charles Spurgeon says is, based on the prayer meeting, based on the passion in the prayer meeting, based on the people in the prayer meeting, we can gauge what the harvest will look like in the church. That's what he says. But again, these are books, right? And I don't preach books. What do I preach? The Word of God. So we're going to turn to the Word today. Now here's the deal. Some of these are going to be up on the screen, and some of them I'm going to be in my Bible. So if you want to take notes, if you want to write them down, if you want to jot them in your phones, you can do that. Or if you want to, you can go back online later to listen and take notes from that. I'm going to be in Joel, beginning in Joel today. I'm going to hop around a few different times. But in Joel 1, we get to this uh, passage of Scripture where God is speaking to Joel, giving him a very specific message. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to hit some passages in Joel 1, and you'll just go, man, this does not sound good. All right, after the cutting locusts finished eating the crops, the swarming locusts took what was left. I'm beginning in verse 4. Can you bring me down just a little bit? Because Thank you. Uh, 
After, I just read that part, after then came the hopping locusts, and then the stripping locusts too. Wake up, you drunkards, and weep. Wail, all you wine drinkers. All the grapes are ruined, and all your sweet wine is gone. A vast army of locusts has invaded my land. And we jump down to verse 9. For there is no grain or wine to offer at the temple of the Lord. So the priests are in mourning. The ministers of the Lord are weeping. Verse 13, dress yourselves in burlap and weep, you priests. Wail, you who serve before the altar. Come spend the night in burlap, you ministers of God. Jump into 14, announce a time of fasting. Call the people together for a solemn meeting. Bring the leaders of, and all the people of the land into the temple of the Lord your God and cry out to him there. So Joel, is, he's basically painting a picture of what is happening in the land. He says, hey, it's not looking good. All right, I'll just sum it up in that. It's not looking good. And he says, okay, call my people together. Call them together because it's time to pray. It's time to lament. Chapter 2, in verse 2, it is a day of darkness and gloom, a day of thick clouds and deep blackness. Suddenly, like dawn, spreading across the mountains, a great and mighty army appears. It just keeps getting worse. But when you jump down to verse 12, that is why the Lord says, turn to me now. There is time. Give me your hearts. Come with fasting, weeping, and mourning. Don't tear your clothing in your grief, but tear your hearts instead. Return to the Lord your God, for he is merciful, compassionate, slow to angry, and filled with unfailing love. He is eager to relent and not punish. Who knows? Perhaps he will give you a reprieve, sending you a blessing instead of this curse. Again, he repeats in verse 15, call the people together for a solemn meeting. And then this next verse just stands out to me and I go, people, we've missed it. Gather all the people, the elders, the children, and even the babies, call the bridegroom from his quarters and the bride from her private room. Okay, church, if there's a problem going on and we need the people of God to gather to pray, Joel, God through Joel says this, I don't care if you just got married, it's time to pray. A lot of us are like, what? (laughs) That's what it says. He's saying, listen, I know you just got married. I know that you got some things going on, but we need to gather together. Church, I think we've got our priorities messed up. That if in Joel, when he says it's time to gather the people to pray, He says, hey, I know you just got married. I know you're celebrating. I know you're doing your thing right now, but you need to get back because we need to pray. I think think your dinner reservation can wait. I mean, I I I could hit lots of different things, right? I could hit lots of different things. I'll just let the Spirit of God speak to you instead, though. All right. But then, as we continue on in verse 2, would you silence that phone, please? Thank you. Verse 25 says, The Lord says, after we've repented, after we've prayed, I will give you back what you lost to the swarming locusts, the hopping locusts, the stripping locusts, and the cutting locusts. It was I who sent this great destroying army against you. Once again, you will have all the food you want, and you will praise the Lord your God who does these miracles for you. Never again will my people be disgraced. So God says, listen, I know things are falling apart around you. I'm telling you, it is time to gather together to pray. And when you pray and when you repent, I assure you that I will show up. Prayer moves the heart 
of God. Corporate prayer moves the heart of God. You know, for me, I, I think, when, I, when I'm thinking about corporate prayer, I, I, it sounds crazy, I go back to camp, okay? So, I love middle school students. Most people don't, but I do. Um, I love middle school students. I, I know that at that age, they're, they're growing, they're developing, and so a lot of times what happens with middle school students is they develop attitudes. Um, but the, the amazing thing about a middle school student is that if you're direct with them and straight honest with them, uh, a lot of times they'll kind of like bend and understand like, okay, this is stupid. The other thing that middle school students for sure do is they look to those who they think um, are cool, or they look to those who they think are, are uh, doing life well and they want to mimic them. So if you haven't noticed this about me, I'm a, I'm a pretty calm guy. Uh, obviously, when I preach, I get worked up, but I'm a pretty calm guy for the most part. Uh, but there was one year that I was an activities director at camp. I was actually activities director for two years. And there's this, there's this one thing at camp called midday. So midday, Chloe's back there like, yup, yup. Midday is when all the campers come together, and they're about to go out to the field to do their crazy games and very active games. But before they do that, they all come together into this room, and you have hundreds of students packed in, and all they're doing is screaming and cheering and answering who's got the best team. Okay? And as an activities director, what you get to do in that moment is you basically get to feel the room and jump around and have fun and get them to get more excited and do things. But what ends up happening, what, what happened for me, was that I'd be walking around the room and you'd hear these t kids just screaming like about their team. And like all during the week, people would be, do things, <laughs> this is not a joke. They would say things like, hey, if I eat this worm, can I get 100,000 points? Um, people would be like, hey, if I, if I run around this tree 10 times, will you give me 500,000 points? And I'd be like, no, like I'm not going to do that. But when you have all of these kids together, united, asking and cheering for their team, it's really hard to be like, no, I'm not going to give you anything. No, I look at the team and go, one million points to Chuck E. Cheese because they're nailing it right now. They're doing amazing. How much more then is a God who loves his children, who looks down from his throne and sees his church come together and pray and say, God, we need you to move. Holy Spirit, would you speak to us? Holy Spirit, would you minister through us? How much more than will he say yes? God, he wants to move. But what he wants us to understand is that we need to be together. He didn't call us to be separate. Listen, the more we've prayed together over specific things, we've had successful surgery after successful surgery after successful surgery. We've seen recovery after recovery after recovery as we have devoted people to prayer. How much more does God desire to do through our prayer? Corporate prayer moves the heart of God. You know, it doesn't just it doesn't just do that. It does a lot of other things. We're gonna we're gonna jump we're gonna jump into Acts chapter one. Acts chapter one today. And again, some of these will show up on the screen behind me. Uh, some of them will not. But I'm just gonna be in my Bible here. 
All right. In Acts chapter 1, uh, verse 4, uh, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says this. Uh, once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, Do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised, as I told you before. He was telling them, listen, you need to stay and wait. And he was referring to the Holy Spirit that would be given to them. So the first thing that Jesus says, hey, I want you to stay here in Jerusalem. I want you to stay together and wait for the gift that is coming. And then when we get to verse 8, man, we're doing well with phones today. It's all good. It's all good, people. It's all good. We're all, we're all here. Then when we get to verse 8, so the first thing he says in verse 4 is, hey, stay. Stay together. Then in verse 8, he says, hey, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So he says, hey, this is what you need to do. This is what's happening. This is what's going to happen. But then this is what we notice in verse 14. So Jesus said to do it. Verse 14 says this. They all met together and were constantly united in prayer, along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, several other women, and the brothers of Jesus. So the disciples continued to gather together and pray, doing what Jesus said. Jesus said, hey, stay here, wait. The Holy Spirit's coming. This is what he's going to do for you. But as you wait, just wait. And they said, we're going to wait in prayer. So obviously 1.14 is not the end of the story because it continues on. Acts 2, 1 through 4, you see this. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. Jesus says, this is what you need to do. And then it doesn't jump to Acts 2, 1 through 4. All throughout there in Acts 1, it says, hey, this is what they did. They were constantly united in prayer. And then at the beginning, on the day of Pentecost, he refers again, listen, guess what they were doing? They were all together in prayer, in one place, doing what God had asked them to do. Jesus asked them to do. Same person, right? One of the things we understand and we pull from this is that corporate prayer brings unity to the entire body. The entire body. Listen, we, we gather together in families and we pray, right? You, yes, you pray alone. You should pray alone. This, again, this is not elevating one above the other. You should have a personal relationship with Jesus, okay? Then we pray in our smaller groups. We pray in, in our families. We, maybe you're praying in a small group setting. Maybe you're praying in, a, in you know, just friends that you're gathering with. But there's something important that takes place when everybody is together. The entire body is brought into unity. When all we do is pray in our groups, what ends up happening is groups begin developing unity, and then in that unity, though, division can stir up. That's why corporate prayer is so important, because when we come together to pray, when we have our small groups of prayer, that reinforces unity because we're also all together. 
I mean, it, it would be very similar to if Caleb and Micah had their own little group, and Zoe, and we'll just make up, like, we'll act like Maggie's a, a person. Maggie's our dog, too. Um, you know, and they had their own group, and all they ever did was hang out together, but they never actually hung out together, all four of them. What ends up happening over time is they end up having divisions amongst themselves when they get to play together. But when we regularly spend time together, which is what happens in our backyard on a regular basis, by the way. I don't think any of my neighbors watch, so that's okay if I talk about this. We've got one, two, three, four, five. We've basically got six houses literally right next to each other. And all of the kids are under the age of seven, like seven and under. And what ends up happening every day, sometimes I'm just like, well, why? But some day, most days I'm like, yeah, cool. Uh, you just have kids hopping fences and coming into our yard and everybody's playing together. And because everybody plays together on a very consistent basis, there's no, there's no bullying. There, there's, no, there's no division. They, they do their own thing. And then when they all want to play together, at one time they all play together well because they practice it. Corporate prayer brings unity to the body because we're all together. When we begin to pray over specific things and begin to see God move in powerful ways, what, is it, what it does is it encourages us as a whole. We're all a part of it, right? There, there's a big difference between, so, how do I say this? It's really hard when you miss a few weeks and you come back and something's changed in your absence, right? I mean, one of the things I always tell, I, I try to always say is, you know, when you miss one Sunday, you could miss a lot of things. You could, you can miss a lot. And then you come back and you'd be like, wait, what happened here? Especially in this facility, because in this facility, you never know what your pastor is going to do. <laughs> like you show up on a Sunday, you're just like, what happened to our chalkboard walls? Where are they? What happened to the yellow paint? What, you, you, you never know. How much more, again, is going to happen when something special happens on a Sunday morning? God brings unity to us with shared experiences. We're going to jump now to Acts chapter 4. So in Acts chapter 4, what ends up happening is Peter and John are, are before the council and things aren't going well. Then the basically says, hey, hey, listen, you need to stop sharing the message of Jesus. You need, you need to stop. We're done with this. And Peter and John leave and they gather amongst the people. And they're saying, and the people have, have been praying. And this is what ends up happening in Acts chapter 4. Uh, we're going to pick up in verse 25. Uh, no. We're going to, yeah, in verse 24. So they heard the report from Peter and John about what the, what the council had said. Like, hey, stop preaching the message. In verse 24, they heard the report and all the believers lifted their voice together in prayer to God. O sovereign Lord, creator of heaven and earth, the sea, and everything in them. You spoke long ago by the Holy Spirit through our ancestor David, your servant, saying, Why were the nations so angry? Why did they waste their time with futile plans? The kings of the earth prepared for battle. The rulers granted, um, rulers gathered together against the Lord and against his Messiah. In fact, this has happened here in this very city. For Herod, Pilate, the governor, the Gentiles, and all, and the people of Israel were all united against Jesus, your holy servant, whom you anointed. But everything they did was determined beforehand according to your will. And remember, this is what the scripture said. They are praying this together in unity 
And now, O Lord, hear their threats. Give us, your servants, great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through your name of your holy servant, Jesus. After this prayer, the place that they were gathered in praying shook, and the Holy Spirit filled them, and they began preaching the word of God with boldness. When they were gathered together, in fact, if you jump into verse 32, which, by the way, I don't know if you know this about your scriptures, these like little title things in your Bible, they weren't there, okay? They, they weren't there. This, this is what people have done to help break it up to make it easier for you to read. The next verse literally says, all the believers were united in heart and mind. And it continues on that they began sharing possessions. Now, this is obviously a special move of the Holy Spirit in that moment, but it's not... <laughs> You can't pull out, they were united in heart and mind from praying together. You can't do it. It's immediately following. All right, we're going to jump now to Acts chapter 12. So Peter now is locked up. Peter's in prison, and one of the things we have to know from the previous section is that James has been executed. James has been killed. And the plan was most likely to kill Peter as well because the people loved that James had been killed. So obviously, people are going to love that Peter's being killed too. Well, it's the middle of the night. Peter is about to be placed on trial. He's falling asleep, and he's got two chains on him. So he's got chains on either wrist. And what we can draw, because of the way that they did it in that day, was he, it says, he had a soldier on his right, and he had a soldier on his left. He was chained to these soldiers. Now, I thought about doing this, but for the sake of time and also for the sake of my knee, I'm not doing this. Um, I was going to tie strings to my wrists and then strings to the wrist of two people on either side of me, and I was going to tell them to close their eyes and say, hey, can you tell me when I'm moving? The answer would be yes, right? You would be able to feel it. But in the middle of the night, an angel shows up, and the shackles fall off of Peter, and he leaves, and he escapes from the prison, and finally he comes to... Peter finally comes to his, this is verse 11, Peter finally comes to his senses. It's really true, he said, the Lord has sent his angel and saved me from Herod and from what the Jewish leaders had planned to do to me. He knows that his life has been spared in this moment. When he realizes this, he went to the home of Mary, the mother of John Mark, where many were gathered for prayer. He knocked at the door and the gate and a servant girl, I love this, named Rhoda, came to open it. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed that instead of opening the door, she ran back inside and told everyone, Peter is at the door. She didn't even let him in. He's still standing in the street. Meanwhile, Peter continued knocking. Um, I'm sorry, they said, you're out of your mind. Uh, it must be an angel. Peter's knocking. He's like, listen, would you open the door? Finally, uh, he's let in. He motions for them to quiet down, and he tells them all that the Lord had done in leading him out of prison. There's something to be said about this passage of scripture that's not easy to pull unless you notice it. Peter knew where the people were gathered. People, Peter knew where the people had gathered to pray. And rather than going anywhere else, I mean, he had just been set free, right? His life was just on the line. He could have said, you know what? They might come for me right now. The first place he goes as to where the people of God had been praying. And now again, the miracle, the miracle is him getting away. 
becoming free. But once again, Luke writes in Acts, which we cannot ignore. We just can't ignore it. Because he didn't have to write that the people had gathered to pray. But he did. Why? Because corporate prayer transforms circumstances. Corporate prayer transforms circumstances. Listen, when you pray on your own, God can move powerfully. But when we come together to pray, how much more does God desire to move in our midst? How much more does God want to answer to the cry of his body, of his bride, when they've come together to pray? It moves the heart of God, and therefore it transforms circumstances. As I said before, we've already begun to see God move powerfully in our midst. How much more, though, does God desire to do through the corporate prayer of United Church? You know, I, I would love to be a church that is known in this community, that everybody knows that if something were to happen on a Wednesday, that at 6 o'clock they showed up at these doors knowing that a church was ready to pray over their need. I would love to get texts from pastors at 9.35 and say, hey, I know you're about to go into pre-service prayer. We're about to see something happen in our church, and I need you to pray. Why? Because when the people of God regularly gather for prayer, God will move. He's already begun to. My question is, how much more? Now, some people... I'm going to jump to one other passage of scripture and then I'll, don't come up yet, then I'll invite the worship team to come. Um, but in Matthew chapter 18, we come across this verse that is used a lot of times um, in regards to corporate prayer, but it's just plain wrong. And so I need to, I need to speak it, okay? All right, Matthew chapter 18, beginning in verse 19. It says, I also tell you this, if two of you agree here on earth concerning anything you ask, my Father in heaven will do it for you. For where two or three gather together as my followers, I am there among them. Now this sounds great, right? And this is something that we want to apply to corporate prayer. That's just like, hey, if there's just two or three of us gathered together, then he hears us, right? Here's the truth. Some of us, you can go, but doesn't he just hear us if it's just one of us? The answer is yes. The answer is yes, if it's just one of you. Because what this passage of Scripture is talking about, if you go into Matthew chapter 18, it's about correcting another believer. It's about accountability. It's not about corporate prayer. It's about, hey, you messed up. And I'm going to come to you and talk to you about how you messed up, how you sinned against me. And then if that doesn't work, I'm going to bring somebody with me, and I'm going to have a conversation with you, with that other person as well. And then it says, hey, because if two or three are gathered together in my name, I will hear them. This, that's what it's about. And we, we know it's about accountability because the next passage of Scripture is about the unforgiving debtor. It's a parable that Jesus tells about a man who's been forgiven debt, and then he goes around and basically I mean, strangles a man and says, hey, you've given me my money. And then the, the ruler's like, what do you mean? Like, I just forgave you, and now you can't forgive this small matter? No. It's about accountability. That's what that passage is about. When we're talking about corporate prayer, corporate prayer is when the body of Christ comes together 
to seek his face, to ask him to move. Corporate prayer builds faith. Corporate prayer builds faith. Last passage of scripture, worship team, you guys can come up as I'm coming to it. Romans 12. Romans 12, beginning in verse 3. Because of the privilege and authority God has given to me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. Just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. And then he goes on to list a bunch of gifts, which I've covered before. Verse 9, don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Church, here's the truth. As a part of the family of God, as a, as a person who is a child of God, as a Christian, a follower of Jesus, you are part of the body of Christ. And we all have our specific parts to play. And because we all have our specific parts to play, it's really easy to focus on our specific part, right? It's really easy to get caught up in this is my job, or this is my family, or this fill in the blank. This is, this is what I'm doing with my time. It's easy. And you know what? It's more than understandable. Because if my hand wasn't focusing on what it needed to do at specific times, it wouldn't really go well for my entire body, right? Because it needed to play its part. But there are moments in life, and it should happen on a regular basis, where the entire body stops and goes to sleep. And the entire body recovers when it stops and rests. If you've ever gone without sleep, you know that you don't function well. Your brain doesn't process correctly. Your muscles are not moving as quickly. Everything doesn't go well when we don't stop and let our body rest and recover. The body of Christ does not operate at its fullest efficiency if we are not all stopping together and saying, Jesus, have your way. You build your church. You do your work. God, I'm going to do my part, but right now we're coming together because we believe that corporate prayer will move your heart, Jesus. We believe that corporate prayer will bring unity to this body. We believe that corporate prayer will transform the circumstances that are happening in our lives. And we know that corporate prayer will build our faith. Church, if your faith hasn't been built over the last few weeks of we seen God, as we've seen God answer so many requests, it's probably because you're not praying along with us. We have, well, we have lots of different opportunities for corporate prayer. My encouragement to you is this. Find the ones that work for you and be here. 
For some of you who are like, listen, my week schedule is really crazy. Every Sunday morning at 9.40 to 10 o'clock, we have pre-service prayer where we pray and believe that God is going to move in our service, that he's going to move in our church. And we pray over not just this room, but we pray over all the leaders in all the rooms, 9.40 to 10 o'clock every Sunday. On the first Sunday night of the month, we have something called Empowered, where we believe that we come together and God is going to empower us for what is to come for the month. We're beginning to believe that every Wednesday, by the way, every Wednesday when we come together for corporate prayer, we're praying over lots of different things, but specifically praying for needs in the body. This is where we're praying for health. This is where we're praying for surgeries. This is where we're praying. And you know, the, the doors are open, so you can show up anytime between 6 and 7. You get off work at 5.30, you show up at 6.30 and pray for 10 minutes. Good for you. You are here. Some of you, you're like, I got time, I can show up for... Would it be amazing if all of us just said, I'm going to commit to one Wednesday a month. One Wednesday a month, I'm going to show up at the church and I'm going to pray corporately with the body. Because I, I, I know that our schedules get busy, so just commit to one. And if, that, if there's one that you come to, I'm going to encourage you, come to Breakthrough, which is going to be the Wednesday following Empowered. We're going to believe that chains are going to fall on Wednesday. We're going to believe that people who have been bound by addiction are going to be set free on that Breakthrough prayer night. That those who have been walking in pain are going to be healed. We're going to believe it. Why? Because corporate prayer moves the heart of God. It transforms circumstances. It brings unity to this body. And it will build our faith. And what does Jesus say? I believe it's 12 out of 19 times in the Gospels. As he says, daughter, son, child, your faith has healed you. And when our faith comes together as a corporate body, he's going to respond. Church, corporate prayer is not something that we get to do. <laughs> something we have to do. It's something we have to do. We're called to do it. I could go, I mean, there's lots of different passages I could preach. But Jesus has called you. He's called us to pray together. So again, Sunday mornings, 9.40 to 10. First Sunday night of the month. That's, uh, that's 6 to 7.30 or around there, sometimes shorter. Every Wednesday from 6 to 7. Those are the times. If you're like, Pastor, I, that doesn't work for me. I would love to start a morning prayer time. You just come talk to me and we'll get that on the schedule. I'm not kidding. <laughs> the more people we have praying, the more we're going to see God move. It's the Graceometer. Would you stand this morning as we sing this song, but also ask God, God, what are you calling me to? Thank you. Now, as I've said before, so you stood before I stood. As I said before, there are going to be some exercises that are going to be difficult. And corporate prayer for many people is very difficult. That's why you can go to a corporate prayer service and sometimes see two people. Because a lot of people are like, that's, that's not for me. I'm assuring you right now. I'm not going to be like, hey, person that feels uncomfortable in this room right now, would you come up here and pray into this microphone? No. And in fact, in the last few weeks, we've, we've kind of changed how corporate prayer works in our church. Every corporate prayer service begins with worship now. Everyone. 
Other things we've done is we've, we've given specific time. So we say, hey, for five minutes, we're going to all pray for the salvation of the people that we know. For five minutes, we're going to pray for Holy Spirit baptisms in our church. For five minutes, we're going to pray that God begins to open doors and opportunities for us to minister in our community. So, because here, how many of you have ever prayed for an hour straight and gone and gotten lost in the middle of it? We can raise our hands here. If you've ever gotten lost in the middle of a long time in prayer, you go, why? Because we're not, I mean, we're not designed to be able to handle that if we've never done it. So we just, every five minutes, I just cut it and I say, okay, now we're going to pray for this. Now we're going to pray for this. And we can focus for five minutes. And if you can't, then you get off track and you just come back in. And if on Wednesday night you're here for 10 minutes, you're for 10 minutes. But that's 10 minutes more than you were doing before, amen? Because 10 minutes becomes 20, 20 becomes 30, eventually 30 will become 60, and then I'll be kicking you out of the church. I won't be doing that, though. I'll just say, here's the keys, lock the door on your way out. So I'm going to pray, and I'm going to ask you to ask God, what are you calling me to? I understand that I'm supposed to pray corporately, but what, what service, what time are you asking me, God, to step into? Let's pray. Jesus, your word teaches time and again that as your people gather corporately to pray, amazing things happen. God, you've asked us to pray together to bring unity to your body. God, you want to hear us pray together. And so Jesus, today, would you speak clearly to our hearts and our minds, and may we walk out of here transformed by you and excited about what you're calling us to. In Jesus, I pray. 